Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. You're listening to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 26. Just a reminder, you can find my shows and notes at callthatgirl.biz slash office365 or at podnuts.com slash ctg. All right, folks. Sorry, it's been uh, probably a couple months since I've done a show. As you know, if you've been listening to my shows in the past four or five years, however long it's been, I'm not very consistent. (laughs) When When I find... Uh, when I find personal life and business life problems happening, doing shows is just something I don't really want to do. But, uh, you know, things have been kind of really mellowed out right now with things, and I'll talk about some stuff later. So I was like, let's get on the shows again, Mitch, and this time let's do them. And uh, feeling pretty good right now. I've got lots and lots of stories, you guys. I am talking tons of stories. I have enough stories for an everyday show, I think, because it just doesn't end the, the things that I come across that are just funny, learning lessons, and everything else. So um, today, right now, we're going to jump right into those stories, and then I got some other things we'll talk about later, or I'll talk about rather. rather. I'll kill or no filler. My biggest story of the summer is the migration I just did. I haven't done a big migration since last January. And to me, big is like 10 or more. And um, I got a call a few weeks ago from a client that I'd helped. Um, I don't know, I helped him probably a month before. And a 30 minute quick call. And basically, he was just telling me, look, I hate Google Apps. It keeps breaking in my Outlook. And I was like, yeah, I get it because it does. Um, it's hard to fix. I fixed his real quick, but it came back and I said it will. Uh, so his firm actually said, look, we want to move the whole company to Exchange, get off the Google Apps. And um, the first problem I had was they wanted to do it in three, four days. Well, there was 20-some mailboxes, way too aggressive. Uh, I had a point of contact with the company so I could, you know, work with just one person. And we kind of realized after just a day or two of trying to collect all the information, which, by the way, I used the checklists and all the forms and stuff, and it was still too aggressive, so we went with the next week. Now, I haven't done 23 people since many years ago. And since they were all on Google Apps, um, I could have done a migration was, but I still don't want to go into that level of work yet. And I did my math. I figured it out. I got a technician to help me with the actual migration. So I think I scheduled everything pretty good. But the problems I encountered, this is where I have some takeaways. And the problems I'm going to talk to you about first is that with any migration work you do, um, there's always a lesson to be learned somehow. (laughs) And the lesson I learned with this one was I had a client that had a Mac that was using Thunderbird. And Thunderbird, local on the Mac, keeps data files, but they're very hard to extract out of Thunderbird. And I initially was like, oh, yeah, well, just, you know, Remote in, extract them, export them. And I think I had tried to schedule this with the client a few times and just kind of got blown off until migration day. And the client was like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll just do it tomorrow because I kept myself on call the whole weekend. And when I got in there, the biggest problem I had was I should have done 
my homework better because we could not export those files. And I hate to say I was defeated because I'm not 100% defeated yet, but I went through enough research. The client knows the system well. We just could not figure out how to get them out of there. So the client was like, yeah, we'll deal with it later. And I think he actually found a way to export each folder one by one into the exchange. He's Mac friendly, so he understood that. But I think I felt that that was probably one of my biggest problems with that is I didn't do a pre-operations spot check. And I think if I had done that, I could have managed the expectations better for that client. Like, um, like remoted in earlier, tried to export, say I can't, here's what we have to do. And sometimes you just have to say no. Now, I'm not going to tell this client no because I'm going to help him, but moving ahead, it's possible that I can tell a client, look, I just did the you know pre-operation ch migration checklist, and I'm not going to be able to move those files. So that's something you're going to have to hire another person to do or not move them. And that way I'm setting the expectations better because I really felt... Just, you know, kind of like I didn't do my best, but I did do my best. I really tried. <laughs> I spent all weekend trying. And I just kind of took as a takeaway, yeah. So I came up with a new pre-operations migration checklist that I felt is very worth the time before I do any migrations moving forward. I'm going to remote into that person's computer and do um, like 10 things on the system for checking to make sure the migration will actually go smooth. And that does include checking the Outlook version, internet speed, exporting. Sometimes you can't even export some things because Outlook is broken or the, the mail control panel is broken. Just little things you find. And I think that I might have to fine-tune some of my pricing for this also. We'll see. But I think what I like more is that I will just know moving ahead with the migration what the challenges will be. And since I don't use migration was, it, it, I think it'll just set the, the tone of the migration better. Um, I did hire a technician to help me with this, with this migration and him and I fine tuned a few things too, because as I grow my company, I'm going to want to hire more tech so we can do more of these by hand. I really like doing them this way. But, um, so I think on another show, I'll talk about that maybe is more of the checklist stuff, but, um, the other big problem with this migration I had, and this is just, this is just insane. One of the clients um, was not able to do the migration themselves. So I said, oh, sure, I'll just do it on my computer. Not a problem. And I could do that every blue moon because, you know, hey, someone can't do it. Well, it turns out that the client, once I started to get the mail to download, had 1,300 folders. And you know, not total. I mean, I mean, 1300 total, but a lot of those had um, folders within folders within folders. And I didn't realize that. And as I was downloading the mail, I had to click each one because Gmail actually puts a filter applied on, which I've talked about in the past. Uh, the filter applied, now that I know how to do it with one click, but you still have to click every single folder to get the mail to, to kind of populate. And 1,300 clicks later, <laughs> it was, uh, I finally got the mail down and then I migrated it. And the unfortunate part was that the client, after I got it all, you know, migrated up to the server, we had to set up his Outlook and he had to download all 1,300 folders 
but his problem was, which this would have been caught in the pre-op migration checklist, is he had very, very, very slow internet down. So his email took days to get down. And I just kind of felt like those were two huge learning lessons for me that just, you know, the expectations of to the client could have been, okay, um, I don't think he even knew he had 1,300 folders. But, you know, hey, you've got really slow internet, so your migration is going to take a lot longer. And I had to help this guy for every day because I kept going, hey, it's still up, you know, downloading and, and whatever. So that was just another lesson learned. And I'm trying to think if I had any other huge problems. Um, I think another one of the clients had Thunderbird on a PC. But I did run a converter tool, and I did convert, but Outlook was not installed in that computer. So we have to do that, and then it should convert those files. Macintosh was not so friendly on that one, unfortunately. All right, let's see. Anybody else have any big problems during that one? Mm, I don't think so. Well, a call I took yesterday, which I've done these calls many times, um, iPhone, iCloud, Outlook not syncing. Pretty kind of common, I guess. You know, people use the iCloud as a third-party app. It's on their phones. They know they can install it on their PCs. And many times, people set it up the first time by themselves. But when it breaks, it can break really heavy. And it can break bad. So this client hadn't had syncing since last spring. And she said, well, look, I'm going away for a few months. So I thought, let's get this fixed before I leave. And I said, you know, that should be about an hour job. Because based upon my past experiences, an hour seemed about right. So there's another problem I have is underquoting my work and kind of forgetting what other technical snags can happen. So I remote in. Uh, typically with iCloud, there's an add-on in Outlook that has to be checked for it to work. You can check it, click OK in the add-on section for iCloud. But if iCloud does not pop up, in the top toolbar of Outlook, then it's not going to work. There's also a disabled add-on sometimes that you have to enable to get it to work. But if that fails, then you are going to a full iCloud rework. And these are not ever my favorite, <laughs> ever. Because before you do anything, you have to back up their calendar. And sometimes, due to the size, it can take a long time because the client yesterday had 11,000 events. And I couldn't export iCloud normally through a CSV file. I had to export it through the Save Calendar options in Outlook, which backs up to an ICS file. Okay, so that was the first snag, and that was really not challenging for me. Then I exported out her contacts. So before I do any work, I back up my data. I always give it the name and the date. So for this one, it was iCloud Calendar, August 21st. Okay, so then you know that's your work. Okay, so I got everything backed up. You have to uninstall iCloud, reboot, then you download iCloud again, reinstall it, and then ask for a reboot. Then you go, after that reboot, you go and launch iCloud, and it asks you if you, um, in the iCloud um, control panel, it says you don't have it set up for Outlook. You click the button, it starts doing a bunch of crazy shit with Outlook, I'm just going to tell you. You're probably going to panic for a minute. Like, you're going to see data, you know, uh, it says it's copying, and then you're kind of worried, am I going to get duplicates? But normally it doesn't, okay? At the end, you launch Outlook. Then you should see the iCloud uh, at the top of the Outlook toolbar, 
and then go down to the calendar. And if your client has um, all of the calendars, like work, personal, home, whatever other ones, it should show up. And the lady yesterday had four, <sighs> yep, four, all different uses. So at this point, we're at about an hour and a half into the call because even though I'm telling the story, it doesn't always <laughs> go that fast. Okay, so then we got it finally working and I verified that it matched the iCloud on the server, which is iCloud.com. And then we had to deal with her two phones. Well, actually, I have to stop a second. I had to import the good calendar that she was using in Outlook to the iCloud. And that's the one that had 11,000 entries. So this sounds like a mess, and it is. It would not import in the 11,000 because iCloud can't handle that much data. So then we had to try again and get to a smaller amount of data. And we actually had to do it three times, I think, till we finally got down to like May, May to like next year. Then iCloud would take it. Okay, then we got the contacts in. Then we had to start working on our phones. And when you're doing remote support with people, and they're on their phones. I'm very, very good at talking them through each step. I think we spent almost an hour on her phone and iPad alone just trying to get those to talk. It was really serious because she just didn't have anything that was syncing. And if we finally troubleshooted it down to where she had to sign out of iCloud completely and then sign in, and then it brought a fresh, uh, fresh um, load down from iCloud. So two and a half hours to set up iCloud and Outlook, test it with the server, and set up an iPad and iPhone. And the only technical real glitches that we had was that one point I was trying to import in the 11,000 contacts, and her internet must have been so slow, it was going one, two, three. I mean, it was going to take days to do. So that's when I told her we can't do it this way. I'm sorry, I forgot that part. So anyway, um, the thing I learned was here I am thinking, telling people, Oh, it's just an hour job. And then I had to think about it and go, no, the last iCloud I did, that was a serious rework. That one actually took three hours because the guy had two computers and an iPad and an iPhone. So that was my fault for misjudging it. But we ended up, I ended up billing her for an hour and a half, which I thought was fair. And she thought that was very fair too, because we weren't expecting all those glitches, but I was only half hour off my quote. But alas, I know that for next time now actually put it up on my website in the quotes area. One computer, one iPad, one iPhone is average two to three hours, two computers, three to four hours. <laughs> Let's just be fair about it because my, my time is valuable and I can't control all these things. All right. Now, the call I had before this iPhone lady, actually, I'm not going to call it a call. I'm going to call it an email complaint from a client I was working with for about two weeks. And she called me because she had IMAP problems with just like uh, one of the big companies, nothing Gmail. And she tells me that her two computers aren't synchronizing. She also told me that she had spent, um, I think nine hours with Microsoft. She said she bought their, I think it's called their new Azure, whatever, support plan for $150. So anyway, I think, I think that should be a flag, you know, like someone tells me they've worked with Microsoft for nine hours and there's still problems. I, I in fact, I'm going to flag that from now on because 
Microsoft tech support, yeah, it's not always the best, but nine hours, that really sounds bad. Like, <laughs> it really sounds bad. So anyway, I'll get on with the story. Um, I take the call, and I'm like, yeah, how bad can this be? You know, it's just an IMAP problem. The way I fix IMAP is two different ways. Normally, the client has too much data that's trying to synchronize. And Outlook, with the exception of Outlook 2013, 13, maybe. 11 gigs is still just too much data to synchronize. So the first thing I usually do with IMAP jobs is I go to each of the computers, I look at the mailbox size in the folder list of Outlook, take a note, then I actually go look at the PST or OST file to see if it matches up. Both computers had mismatching data across the board. So right there, huge flag. The only way to get them to 100% sync is to download a fresh profile on both computers from the server because the server will have the exact information. Well, we were dealing with, <laughs> I was dealing with a client that, um, mm, I don't know how to say it, she likes to take the mouse and bleed the technician. So I'm kind of guessing that might be why it took the nine hours with the Microsoft guy because she probably played technician a lot. But anyway, I did create new profiles. Now, because there was 11 gigs, um, you can't synchronize 11, so I had to go into the IMAP folders and hide a bunch of folders, okay? So we hid, well, she probably had a few hundred folders. So she went through and hid all the ones she wanted. Two hours into the job, I think we had two appointments. Everything was synchronized perfectly, and she was happy. So I billed her for two, and, I don't know, two hours, 15 minutes, I think it was total. And we were happy, and everything was good. And I said, look, you're good now, but you should really move to Exchange. Now, when I try to pitch people to Exchange, it's not for me to make money. I only pitch Exchange to people that I know are going to have problems that they're going to be calling me back, or it's just going to be easier to fix by moving to Exchange. And I did talk to her about her, or, excuse me, I did talk about it kind of right away in the beginning, but more or less, she just really wanted that fixed. And I get it. And some people just wave the white flag in the beginning. They're like, ah, just get me off this, Lisa. It's horrible anyway. I said, yeah. But she did not want to, but she was interested in hearing about exchange. And she had five employees. And I was like, okay, well, we'll talk about it later. No biggie. After the two and a half hours, we did have it agreed that she would move to exchange. So I said, don't touch anything. I remember even telling her, don't touch anything. And... <laughs> Uh, she touched something and she touched something pretty bad because she calls me a week later and she said that she had a server problem, blah, blah, blah. They changed her passwords. Her inbox wasn't working. And could I help? And my biggest problem of this job is I remoted in real quick, did not set the expectation of, well, look, I'm going to charge you for this. And that, my friends, is where I got effed. I'm not going to say the F word, but I did because I didn't stop and say to her, well, I need your credit card. I'm going to bill you for this. Instead, I did it. It was a five-minute fix, and that, I think, set the expectation that she could continue to start calling me, and that's what happened. So after I got that fixed, everything was good, and a few days later, she calls me and says, Lisa, a whole bunch of my stuff is missing. And, of course, I thought they were moving to exchange, so... I said, okay, let me go in and look because you need that for the exchange migration. And an hour into it, 
with still no any talk of anything. I helped her, and we end up getting a bigger mess. What happened, she had gone to the old profiles, not the new ones, and started messing with stuff. And she knows Outlook enough to be dangerous. And what do you know, she had the biggest mess. So I had to go into each profile on both computers and open up all the PST files I could find so she could go through each folder to find her missing stuff because at that point, it was just a big hot mess. And then <laughs> I kept telling her, well, this is okay for us to do now, but this will all be good for when we do the migration because you're going to go find that missing stuff and we'll put it on the server. She's like, okay. Then she called me. Well, actually, at the end of that call, we went to Carbonite to get a backup because I thought, well, you know, why don't you just get a backup from before I helped you just in case, whatever, because she was kind of saying that the data was missing since I helped her, which I, how would I know? She had so many folders. Okay, so then she calls and says the Carbonite was done, and I said, okay, great. And lo and behold, she's like, can you remote in real quick? Again, setting the tone of, I need help now, I remote in, and after an hour, <laughs> it was just really bad. <laughs> she, she, was, she wasn't unhappy, because we got everything working, and we went through all the folders again, and the Carbonite Restore didn't work, and I basically was like, look, I have four hours into this, two hours paid, what am I doing? This was all not good. And I said to her, look, I could probably get all these folders up to a fake server. You know, when you get a Microsoft Exchange, you get 30 days. Then when you migrate, we'll have all the work done. And the next day, she emailed me an uh, email saying she was disappointed and that I moved my mouse too fast. And she had a few other just, you know, I uh, wouldn't say complaints as much as just like she feels like I was twisting her arm to go to Exchange. And, you know... Just saying that she was going to figure it out herself. Excuse me. And I really just kind of went, really? Where did I go wrong in this tech job? You know, A, I set the expectation that I was available and I didn't bill her and tell her that. Second of all is I was expecting an exchange migration, which I should never do because now she doesn't want to do it. She wants to figure it out on her own. And I just kind of let the client control the tech job by kind of asking me to help real quick without appointments. And then also with um, her taking the mouse all the time for me. And I've had problems with people in the past taking the mice for me. And, and normally I, I learned to train them right away by saying, ah, uh, 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 don't take the mouse when I'm doing it because that can be bad. And most clients are like, oh, that's right. Because what happens is they want to do some of the work. And she probably did 50% of the work which I, I, I think with the rates I'm charging for the work I'm doing, that people shouldn't even be able to touch the mouse at all unless I ask them to. So, yeah. <laughs> if I sound exhausted, this has just been the last three days, <laughs> except for the migration. And it's just, uh, you know, I, I think that I just continue to learn. And no matter what, you have to, when you start doing things again, you have to go, man, how, the, how come this feels wrong? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, this already went wrong before. And speaking of things going wrong before, I, I took a call from a lady who was inquiring about hiring me to help. Uh, 25 of her employees went through a migration and too many people had too many problems and they kind of felt that they need to get a consultant in to fix it all. I said to her, well, look, here's what I do. I could certainly, you know, 
definitely help you guys, but I need for you to create a list of the problems and then let me review it to make sure I can, you know, do the work. And she goes, Lisa, I get this from all you techs. Everybody says they know what they're doing. And then when I give them the list, they really can't. Or they say they can and they mess it up worse. And just listening to how she was talking to me, I, I was really kind of going, I don't want to work for her. I don't like people that talk to me that way. You know, it's like, I don't need your work. I'm busy right now. So I actually did stop and say, after she told me a bunch more problems and stuff, I was like, you know, I just don't think I'm the tech for this job. And <laughs> she was kind of like, oh, I said, well, it kind of sounds like you guys need somebody else that you can work with that is really going to, you know, be able to manage your expectations. My favorite words. And then she goes, well, you know what? Why don't we just get that list together for you then? And I was like, huh? Here, they were just telling me why they didn't want it. And then I turned around and said, I don't want to work with them. And then next thing you know, she's like, we'll get that list. And I was like, all right. And I said, well, here's what you should really do is get a survey to every employee and find out what problems they're having. Because there's people having problems that probably aren't telling you because they're afraid to tell you. <laughs> she was like, that's a really good idea. And I said, well, you know, we're all inundated with email nowadays. And if, if you could see what I have to see, I fix people with half a million emails in their inbox. And I was just, you know, kind of just jokingly like, I don't want to help you lady. At the end of the call, she said that she'd hear back, or I'd hear back from her in 24 to 48 hours, and I never did. So I was taking that as a big sign that, you know, hey, 25 people in the consulting would be a good job. But I just didn't kind of like the, the feel of her, and it doesn't feel like I'd want to work with her. So I will probably still say no if she calls me back because, I don't know, I just don't, I have to learn how to gauge a client better at the first call, you know. I mean, of course, my favorites are the ones that hire me within eight minutes. That's my favorite. But I had another lady this week, and um, we set up an appointment, and I told her, they actually called asking for exchange. I quoted her $600. I said it's standard, the fees. And then she goes, oh, well, can you set up um, a proposal for me, an email to me? And I said, no. She goes, no. I said, I don't do proposals. I, my, my, my prices are what they are. Two people, six hundred dollars. She goes, "Oh, I said, well, there's really nothing to propose." <laughs> I kind of, kind of felt like, why? You know, two or three years ago, I wrote proposals because it kind of people really wanted to see all the work I did, and then I was like, you know what? I've had so much success in the past year or two, just telling people like how it is. You need exchange. You have two people, I do it in one morning or at night, it's 600 bucks, and here's what I do, and it's sold. There is no proposal for me needed. I don't do demos, I don't do any of this stuff. And uh, she was okay with that for like a minute, and then she said, well, do you do other things for, for like computer help, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, yeah, I have a help desk that I only allow prepay support clients to utilize. And she goes, well, how much is that? And I said, um, I sell it in four eight-hour blocks of time. So that'd be $4.99 or $8.99. She goes, oh, so I just can't buy it by the hour? I said, no, I don't have that model here. And then she was like, okay, great. Well, I'm going to have my assistant get back to you. Thanks. And she hangs up. And I'm like, okay, that's another kind of client that I'm really glad I did. Because my business model is set up to uh, have support tickets now 
I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, how I kind of got out of the brain myself is I don't want clients that are only going to, you know, talk about $89 fixes. That's not what I do anymore, unfortunately. Not at all. So I was kind of happy to see that one go by too, because if she was acting that way to me now, she might act worse to me when I do repairs. All right. Sorry, folks. I had to take a little break there. Sorry, it seemed weird. Um, my next issue, a lot of these issues are from the summer for my break, by the way. I had a call from a business contact manager client. Now, if you've never worked with business contact manager, it's one of the, I don't know, program add-ons for Outlook that is kind of like a CRM system. I think people used it more in 2003, 2007. And it got really popular. Um, I have been supporting it, but I don't like it. And <laughs> I'll tell you that I actually made a contact out in Seattle who is a business contact manager expert because I was getting enough calls that I just couldn't say no to them, which I was because the new uh, business contact manager with 2013, I completely don't even understand. And that's unfortunate, but I can't learn everything. And I found him. So that's been real nice. I've threw him a few jobs this summer uh, because I went out to Google and made some blogs about business contact manager expert. There was none. So I did it. So I get the calls. <laughs> if you Google it, you'll find me. But anyway, I did take a client that was calling in a panic and he said, look, my outlook won't open at all. And I said, well, look, here's what I can do is I can probably fix the outlook and get it open for you so you can do your, you know, email and tell my BCM expert and he's not like me on the fly can do jobs quick. He's more project oriented. And I said, and he'll get back to you to fix your database. The guy actually had a four meg database and that must be the limit. So he knew he had to split that. And here, most of my BCM clients know their program very well, actually. So, you know, when they need an expert, they, they know that it's past their, you know, technical level. So anyway, what I ended up doing was shutting off the synchronizing. And then it turns out that he had uh, some, uh, like every single add-on and Outlook open at the same time too, which if you've ever done, you know, someone can't open Outlook, try to get in safe mode and disable all the add-ons because normally people don't need any of those except for maybe an Adobe PDF thing or some other third-party app. DragonSpeak, by the way, is a huge uh, natural speaking, um, DragonSpeak, I think it's called, um, from Nuance. That's a big problem with Outlook. So anyway, I did all that, rebooted, got his Outlook to open, happy as a clam. But I just, you know, for those people out there trying to get into more support like this, there's lots of little funky things that can cause Outlook to, to snap and not work. And, you know, even though I, I, I know I managed that call well because I told him, look, I have an expert, but I can help you with the Outlook. And it really went perfect, except this is the funniest part is I told him, I will help you for 15 minutes for free. If I can't get Outlook to open, then I'm not going to charge you. Anytime after that, and if it opens, I'm going to bill you. So <laughs> it was 45 minutes. It was 11 o'clock at night. And this is when I was traveling. So I worked weird hours. Normally, I would never do an 11 o'clock appointment. And I was remoted into his computer, and Outlook had not opened. So at that point, I told the guy, well, I won't be able to bill you unless this Outlook opens and it works. 15 minutes later, Outlook opened. <laughs> so I ended up billing the guy only for a half hour, 89 bucks. But that was, to me, a very fair call. And uh, to me, it was just a fun one. But speaking of Outlook add-ons and third-party apps, you have to make sure 
that if you have clients using G-Sync it, Companion Link, or in the past, you know, Google App Sync, things like that, if those uh, third-party apps break, check the updates first right away because I've had a lot of people this summer that um, have emailed me in requests and I don't even take the request until I know the updates are done because really it's pointless. And almost every person did have to uh, get the updates and I didn't hear from them. And I tell them that's my five-minute free advice because, you know, for me to go click that update button and for it to work to charge $89, I know <laughs> Bryce Whitty from TechNibble says you get to charge $89 because you know what button to push. But I still just feel guilty charging somebody my minimum to do that. So I just do the free advice thing and hope that they remember me and call me later. I always hope that. Now, there are some other problems with GoDaddy that I'm going to talk about now. And this one's actually newsletter worthy for those that are looking for something to put in the newsletter. In the past at least year since GoDaddy's been trying to fine-tune their Office 365 sales, which I call them bandits now, um, pretty much... What they're doing is when people have a problem with any of their current services, GoDaddy tries to upsell you to Office 365. And they're getting really good and really sneaky about it. And I had a few clients this past year, um, the one I'm going to talk about here is the worst, that said, well, GoDaddy said if we migrate to Office 365, they will give us a refund on what was due on our old services, plus they're going to give us a year for free or half off or something so it really sounds juicy if they buy a three-year contract I've heard this over and over and this is really common for them to do that they want to hook people in but the problem is that the salesperson on the phone which I never call them technicians because they're really in my opinion far from a technician level they sell these people and the next thing you know <laughs> the people are in half a migration and they can't do their email and their outlook well, we know if because we do this kind of work that migrations, you know, with when they're they're using their tools to do it can take two or three days. That's just like how migration was works too. It does its passovers and email comes down and everything. And so my client, this is where I'm getting at. They called me and they said, "Look, we have a big problem. GoDaddy migrated us. Our Outlook doesn't work. This doesn't work. We're trying to work. We're in a panic." And basically. I called GoDaddy and worked with them, and I got their email and Outlook to open, but nothing was coming down yet because it wasn't done synchronizing. And my clients were so upset that they said, eventually one day we'll move over to your vendor because we want to be free of this. They had no email in their Outlook for three or four days. Now, that's like taking a heroin needle out of a, you know, a junkie's arm. I mean, people love their Outlook. And they can't adjust to an online version. They can't adjust to other things. They, they, you know, it's just like they freak out if they can't have their Outlook. And that's why Outlook work is in demand. So when people's emails down, you know, it's down. And I worked with them for at least two different sessions. And basically, you know, they felt really bad that they didn't talk to me first. Because I've known these clients for five, some years. And I said... I think the point of when you build a relationship with someone like me is you should use me as your IT consultant. They were even like prepaid ticket clients. They could have called me and said, hey, look, Lise, you know, GoDaddy, <laughs> here's the worst part. They had actually done this for two months with GoDaddy and emails back and forth. And I told the clients, I said, you guys should have just stopped at some point and said, maybe we should check with Lisa, you know. 
as, as IT techs and consultants, we want our clients to call them, to call us rather, and to, you know, if they want to do it on their own, I would have told them, well, here's what's probably going to happen. So, but GoDaddy's not going to tell them, you're not going to have your outlook for three or four days. You're not going to have this. You're not going to have that. No. And if they call, GoDaddy's like, too bad. And my client even had an email <laughs> from GoDaddy that said, your emails should be migrated over in four hours. And when we called back, GoDaddy was like, no, we never tell people four hours. And I said, well, look, I'm looking at the email right now that says four hours. He goes, nope, that never got sent. I'm like, okay, you obviously are delirious because I'm looking at an email right here. My client was on the phone screaming at the tech or the salesperson. They just refused to listen because basically at that point they kidnapped them, in my opinion. So if you're looking for something to put in your newsletter, you can definitely write up some kind of a warning to your clients to say, look, if you're going to be doing something big like that, contact me first, get my opinion. And if, you know, at least you have expectations of what can happen. Um, GoDaddy also has a horrible interface that is not standard. I don't believe, well, I think it's been a while since I looked at their interface. Um, but the last time they didn't allow you to see the admin control panel. They might now, but back last time I was testing it, they didn't. And that's horrible because you don't get any access. You have to utilize them, which is, again, horrible. <laughs> At least with regular Microsoft, you get to see your admin control panel. And speaking of GoDaddy, I did a migration from GoDaddy to my favorite vendor, AppRiver. And I came across a, not a new snag, but a snag that everybody should be aware of. Uh, I'm a big fan, which I'm not a fan anymore, but I'm a big fan of creating a profile and putting the new exchange in the same profile until it's all migrated and I can verify stuff and remove the other, the old GoDaddy account or whatever server is on. But Outlook 2010 has a big problem with putting in two exchange servers. And unfortunately, so the reason why I like using the same profile is because everything stays the same. You know, the autocomplete, the, you know, just all their little fine tunings that they had, their settings, their views, all that stuff. And I didn't get a lot of callbacks. But Outlook 2010 has a snag that if you try to remove the first exchange account in the email accounts area, it'll give you an error. And so basically, you're screwed. You have to go and make a new profile to only show the one exchange account. I've seen that probably three or four times. So my new um, my new method is to just create a new profile and do the aftercare and fine tune that the best I can because you know what? I'd rather do that and then I give the expectation to the client that things might not be perfect. But I, I just Outlook 2010 is is just uh, just just breaks that way, I guess. And another thing that's been breaking is Macintosh is losing mail identities with Exchange. I had two calls in July where um, Outlook 2011, something crashed and their mail identity broke. So all their stuff was gone. And normally in a Mac, you have to go to the mail, let's see, I think it's called the database utility. Then you can pick your identities and I fixed this before by just selecting the old identity as the default and everything comes back. But what happened is this one client had a mail identity um, delete a bunch of stuff. And then 
when it, it deleted it off the server that actually deleted it somehow, I don't know how, out of the restore deleted items. I mean, it was gone, gone. I haven't, I haven't downloaded a fresh copy onto her PC, and there was nothing there either. So something really went bad. But anyway, um, I ended up copying her um, mail identity OLM file, which is about 9 gigs. I ended up copying that. This is why I just can't work with Mac only. I took that file over to the PC. She had to put on a flash drive and copy it over. On the PC, I downloaded the OLM converter for to uh, excuse me, OLM converter to PST, and all the files were there that she was missing. All of her stuff. It was just like something went cuckoo, and the mail identity in Mac is like equal to profiles on a PC Mac or PC. Sorry. It's, they're just configured a little differently, and the Mac databases are a lot different. And unless, I mean, unless you work with Mac Mail every day and all the email applications, I I don't know. I, I work with it enough, but every Mac tech I've ever asked about email, they just aren't a fan of it. So, you know, I had to wing it. But that was a win for her. But I did see two male identities this summer, which is strange. I don't know what happened. And about a month ago, I had a migration that I thought was going to be just super sweet, super easy. I was like, oh, yeah, this will be a breeze. I already helped her with a small problem, moved her up to Exchange. So she had two computers, and the first computer would not take a new Exchange. I think she already had Exchange, actually. But I don't remember that exactly. But I could not set up a new profile with Exchange. It kept giving me, uh, you're not connected, you're not online, which I've dealt with that tons of times. I did all my basic troubleshooting. I could not set it up with just add the new account with the email and password. And I tried manually setting it up, and it failed. And I was like, you know, there's something really wrong here. And that dawned on me that she did not. I went and looked in her um uh, the security settings of the exchange, and she did not have anonymous. So if you're doing a manual setup, you have to be able to pick the option for anonymous, and it, it actually comes from a Windows update with Outlook 2010. So if you don't see that, you have to go get the hotfix, which I have on my website, by the way, um, or you can just Google Outlook 2010 hotfix for anonymous authentication, and it'll pop up. It's a KB article with a download link. So I did that and it failed. And then I tried all the Windows updates. Turns out her updates had not been done since February. So actually I think I have to rearrange that story. I tried the Windows updates first and those all did not come down nicely because they were so many. Then I tried the hotfix, that failed. And then it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, you know what? Let's install Outlook 2013 just to see if this fixes it. And it did. So to me, I will never forget that lesson again. <laughs> and the client was absolutely thrilled with upgrading. You know, and I hate to say it, but luckily she had another computer to work on. So she wasn't really affected by this. But uh, yeah, that's something that maybe would have been caught in the pre-op check. Um, you know, the pre-operations migration checklist. 
I'm not sure how I'm going to add that in, though, because I don't think that's worth testing on everybody's computer. I mean, I've done hundreds of migrations, and that was just rare. But uh, those things can happen, unexpected. And luckily, she had another computer to work on. Thank goodness. Okay. Hmm. I got three or four more things here. Let's take a quick break, though. That's a lot of stories, folks. Um, I would like to take a minute to thank our show sponsor, App River. App River email and web security specialists. They offer phenomenal Office 365 sales and support, and they've been my preferred vendor for all my clients for, boy, almost two and a half years now, and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor. So if you've listened to my past shows and you've heard me speak about App River, um, you can set up a time to talk to my rep, Steve Harris. You can email him, sharris at appriver.com. I just can't tell you guys how much I love this company <laughs> because instead of me doing my 60-second pitch, I'm just going to tell you a few stories, is that what I love the best about having those guys is that if I need the sales rep to help me win a sale, I send it to my sales rep. If I need a client to call the tech support, they're open 24 hours a day, and they have email support. And they're always, for the most part, on the spot with that 15 minutes. If you get a guy on the weekend, just call, and then they're always you know, just only one tech or something there, but they do a good job. And I like that it takes away from me having to learn exchange at a deeper level. Now, basic admin stuff, yeah, that's fine for me. And they actually do training for clients too, so the clients could do their own admin. But I, I basically get to do what I like, is just basic stuff, and keep on with my sales and my tech support. They have exchange engineers. I don't have to deal with that stuff. None of my clients have to call Microsoft, and I just, that's my pitch to my clients as I say, yeah, we could use Microsoft. I could be a reseller, but I don't want to deal with the problems if there is one. I can't book myself out a whole day to work on someone's problem. That just is a, I have appointments all day long, and that would ruin my day. And outside of that, I'd be frustrated because I don't have myself set up to bill somebody for being on the phone with Microsoft. It just doesn't work for me. So... If you're looking to um, move into doing Office 365, you know, take the time to go talk to Steve and to find out more if they can help you. They got two plans. One is, um, I think, a reseller plan. Instead of going through Microsoft, you go through them. The other one is the partner. I think it's called referral partner. That's what I do. And there's no secret here. I earn a commission off each sale, and every quarter you get a, a check, and it just, you know, it's a little nice bump. You know, because I don't resell my own prices for this. The client gets what they sell it for. And most of the time I just sell exchange and that's $4.95. And clients hear that and they're all for it. So, again, if you need App River's help, Steve Harris, S. Harris at AppRiver.com. Okay, I think I got a few more stories here for you guys. I've tried to save up all the good ones from the summer. Just the the ones that caused me the most issues. <laughs> and next topic is Gmail. My favorite. I, I'm having a hard time determining if Gmail is my favorite or IMAP because either one both make me the most money. But unfortunately, there's two clients here that are not making me money. Um, I had a client that um, had one computer and he called in for help that his emails were missing, slow, not coming down and you, what do you know this is a typical gmail imap problem for so many people so for you folks just get into it or whatever uh basically there's two folders in gmail 
One is called All Male, and this is more common with Outlook 2007 and 10. I think Outlook 2013 actually hides that folder now and doesn't sync it. But that and the important folder, both of those are data hoarding vessels. <laughs> That's a good word for it. Basically, the all mail is all the mail you've ever emailed for the entire time of your account and sent, received and sent. And what I learned from another client is I had to remove all those all mails once because he was on Outlook 2007 using Windows XP. And with the amount of mail that client had, it was 75,000 emails, way too much. But, you know, there are, there is limits to email. Outlook 2007 has limits. Outlook 2010 has limits. 2013 is kind of, you know, the holy grail. But, but you know, in terms of Gmail hoarding all this email, I had to tell this client, look, we have to move out that email. And the client said, well, go ahead and delete it. And mm, I have a new rule. I no longer delete. I will move your mail to a PST file. But if you want that deleted, you are hitting that delete button. And I'm telling you, you are hitting that button because the other client I was telling you about who had the 75,000 emails in Outlook 2007 and on XP told me to delete those emails. And it ended up taking away mail he'd already moved from another folder, which I've never seen before. But after that, uh-uh. <laughs> this girl is no longer deleting nothing. And I don't care if the client's like, delete it, I want it gone. Well, then you are going, I'll select it for you. You are hitting the delete button, and I'm documenting it that you delete it, because if you need that, I am not going to, first of all, do free support. Secondly, I'm not going to be blamed for you telling me to delete it. So, anyway, of this Gmail IMAP story, the first client actually did move all the mail off, and that was good because he needed the email still somehow. But the IMAP just does that. And that's just something everybody needs to be aware of is that, you know, no matter what, it just keeps like it's a data hoarding tank. You just have to delete it and flush it out and give the clients room again. And the client did not want to move to exchange, which I don't push if they don't want to. But I was like, look, you're going to have this problem again. So we moved out as much as we could and his email worked great. And then speaking of Outlook 2013, I had a client that I had to upgrade to 2013. This is a little tip for you folks. They were on 2010, but they also had too much mail, of course. Everybody has too much mail. Everybody has too much everything right now, I think. We all just need to slow down. But anyway, he lost all of his distribution list that he had in Outlook 2010. So I thought that was strange. I was like, why would it lose the distribution list? I looked and looked and looked, didn't see it. I said, we might have to go recreate them. And the client was like, no, they're there. I actually got Outlook 2010 to open, but I couldn't figure out a way to export those out. And I hate not knowing how to do stuff. So I was researching it. And finally, I said to the client, oh, you know what? Let me go look underneath another subfolder. And the client had iCloud hidden in there that I didn't see. And what do you know? The distribution lists were all in there. Saved. So I had to kind of just put that research of how to export the distribution list out. But normally, it just all exports out anyway. So I don't know if I even need to look into that. But that's a tip. Uh, kind of, <laughs> I guess. 
And um, I think my biggest learning lesson was, I think I always have big learning lessons. I don't think it ever ends. On my scheduling website, I had uh, to schedule an appointment with me, you need to have a $49 deposit. So I had a client call in and I got his credit card, but during the quick remote and he did the client agreement form and all the stuff I do, somehow I forgot to tell him how much my rates were. And after, I don't know, a lot of work, sometimes I just project quote some of this Gmail stuff. He had uh, four Gmail accounts in his Outlook, all with just endless amounts of email. So I just had to spend a couple days moving the email around and reorganizing it. And I said, well, look, I think uh, two and a half hours is fair for this. And he was like, okay, what's your rates again? $49? I said, no, it's $139. He goes, wow, you are very expensive. And I said, why what do you think it was $49 an hour? Well, that's what's said on the website. Okay, so right then and there, after this call was over, I went to my website and I actually changed it to say $139 per hour on my website scheduling. And then on my client agreement form, I made it so on the form there's a button that says, I agree to pay $139 an hour. <laughs> Can you imagine if I would have had to only bill that guy $49 an hour? I was like, what does he think? Like, he obviously runs a business. He's had technicians help him. And just because of people thinking that I'm so expensive, I had another lawyer client tell me, because I must not have told her either, that, wow, you are very expensive. And I'm like, you're a lawyer. You're expensive too. Like, I, I, I guess uh, it just takes one thing for me to go change another thing. And I've been in business eight years now. August 17th was my anniversary. And I'm like, I still just can't seem to get it together on this. Why can't things just flow? But I've just kind of chopped it up as, you know, it's people. They don't read. They don't understand. You know, you can't send anybody more than a single paragraph in an email because no one reads anything anymore. And that's why you have to have check boxes on your agreement forms because then they checked it. That means they read it. I think we're just kind of, I don't know, our society's going crazy a little bit, but maybe it's me. I don't know. Anyway, so those are kind of my updates from the summer, folks. Um, lots and lots has happened. Um, I did my last show with Carrie, and like I said, my consistency has been off. But I'm hoping to have things settled down now. I went through some personal issues this summer. Had to figure that out. I'm traveling again. As of right now, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've been here for a month. And in about three and a half weeks, I voyage down to Nevada, where I'm going to be settling down and making um, somewhere in the Las Vegas area my permanent home. I think that I need to settle down finally and <laughs> get into my own. I want to get back into some business networking and get into that downtown tech mecca a little bit and just kind of start doing some new things. There's a lot going on down there technology-wise. A lot of startups and stuff, so I thought that might be a fun environment to jump into. And then my biggest decision I made with these last two months was at the end of June, um, I decided to get out of break fix. I had to make the commitment. And well, here's what I got out of is I was doing my managed services with RS Tech team. They were doing my online backup and my um, managed services. And at the end of June, I talked to Chris and I said, you know what? 
I don't want to do it anymore. It, it was making me great money and the services were great for the clients, but I personally just decided that I wanted to focus only on Outlook and Office 365. So Chris and I came up with an agreement and I sold him all of it. I think that's very fair to say. Um, and it took us well, about a month and a half to finally, you know, get all of it out of my hands, but I have not been happier. So if you are doing anything that you don't like or you don't feel that you can be successful, just figure out a way to get out of it because I have not been, like I said, happier in July. I mean, that's when we started migrating stuff out. I focused on my sales. I, I focused on my marketing. I did a lot of stuff. And I actually also got rid of all my assistants. I just said I need a break from having people work for me. And July was my best month ever. And August, this month has actually been better than July. So something must be telling me, <laughs> the universe is telling me, you just need to slow down. And one day I might regrow the company. And, um, you know, if I regrow the company, at least I know how to do it the better way. I don't know. We'll see. Right now I'm okay with just doing what I do. And I still work with Chris. Um, Chris does my help desk for my um, prepay support client tickets. And if any calls come in, I just send it right to him. I don't even deal with it anymore. I don't want it on my books because if you're going to say no to stuff, you just got to say no. But I did keep the help desk for my prepay because you know, my prepaid clients are kind of special to me. And if they need help, I just didn't want to say no. And it just worked out to, you know, that works. That still works. So pretty much I have my backup of my help desk guys. But yeah, my life is a little more free for me to do what I'd like to do. And blogging and helping clients and migration work and... I made some videos last weekend, so if you want to check out my uh, Office 365 channel at YouTube, it's um, youtube.com slash callthatgirl, and I put up four last weekend, I'll get a bunch out tomorrow too, and then I also have those Outlook videos that I've been working on. I got the, the distribution stuff ready and the template for the website, so I'm ready to hit that. So all in all, folks, that's kind of it, all my updates in a nutshell. And hopefully here in the next week I'll get another show out because I got a lot more stories I want to tell. Um, but anyway, if you want to, give me an email at lisa at callthatgirl.biz. And um, you can check out my books at callthatgirl.biz slash publications. If you want to hire me to help you with a migration or do some consulting, I do charge a fair rate for techs, and you get to do the work. So learn from me, and I'll help you. And this will be the close of the show. Uh, let's say this is a Podnuts production, audio supported by Mitch Hammond. Thanks again to our sponsor, App River. Be sure to check out other Podnuts podcasts, da excuse me, Podnuts Daily, Android App Addicts, Linux for the rest of us, and the Geeksters. If you have a story you want to share or be a guest on the show, contact me, Lisa, at callthatgirl.biz. And da -da 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 -da, let's see, you can check me out on Twitter, Call That Girl, Facebook, if you can find me there. I've got tons of stuff. You can check me out at Technable. I have an account over there. Otherwise, that's it, folks. See you next time.